Welcome to Europarama, a podcast series about science fiction and the future of Europe. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Are We Europe, the podcasting family and magazine which collectively asks the question what it means to be European. My name is Giuseppe Porcaro and I'm the author of Disco Sour, a novel about European democracy in the age of algorithms. And in each episode, I've been talking to a fellow writer, and together we have explored and created several fictional future scenarios for the old continent. This is the last episode, and uh, I am very happy to be joined by Mick and Mareia from Are We Europe, actually the co-founders of Are We Europe. And we're going to have... Uh, Uh, conversation and a wrap-up uh, and uh, look a little bit uh, behind the scenes of, uh, of this season and this experiment. Thanks for having us. It's great to be at the table, Giuseppe, finally. It has been quite a pleasure and um, an interesting endeavor to cooperate with, with Are We Europe. It was not too long ago, Giuseppe, that we were sitting at the coffee shop here in Brussels and we sort of, you, you sort of told me about this idea of using science fiction in a podcast series to talk about different narratives um, for Europe. And I immediately said, yes, it truly fits our, our mission because Are We Europe, first of all, is a question. Because we wanted to pose it as a question that 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 is sort of constantly asking ourselves what it means to be European, because it's 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 like Europe as a concept, as a political or economic concept, is, it exists, but as a cultural identity, as a cultural layer to this continent, the old continent that you mentioned that we're inhabiting, um, with what is it, seven hundred million, seven hundred fifty million individuals. We don't really know what it means to be a part of this other than the sort of political and economic sides of it. So Are We Europe tries to ask that question on a cultural level. What do we have in common and what are what are our differences? Not as Italians and Hungarians, but as true Europeans, and especially with regards to the next generation, which grew up in this borderless concept of, of, of a European continent. And with our magazine, we try to conceive of new ways of talking about Europe. So rather than focusing on, as I said, the machinations of Brexit or what's happening in, in, in Brussels or what's happening with Merkel and Macron, we would love to explore new ways of examining that. And I think a podcast series, and especially one that looks at the future, for which science fiction, of course, is the best possible tool in a, in a sort of funky, funny, uh, very sort of open and creative way. I think it was the best way possible to discuss possible futures for Europe. And I, I really enjoyed listening to it because it really made me think about all the scenarios that Europe has, right, like in the near future and in the far future, of course. Ah, you're, you're, you're totally right about uh, this idea that was the philosophy of Europarama to trying to use basically science fiction as a tool in order to uh, go a little bit beyond what is uh, on the news cycle and so on and trying to think a little bit out of the box but also get back the idea of uh, of science fiction as um, as a methodology as a genre uh, literary genre which has a big tradition in Europe uh, and that has been uh, uh, somehow uh, used in several in several ways uh, and um, and what was uh, I was curious about was how we can basically trying to link 
this tradition of science fiction in Europe with what is happening now in the political realm. And, and actually, I, I, I was speaking with um, a PhD from Denmark called Niels uh, Dahlgaard. I was asking him exactly this kind of question, how we can link it up and how we can link up uh, the tradition of science fiction in Europe and what exactly is the tradition of science fiction in Europe. When you use the term science fiction, many Europeans also think of the American idiom, which was actually developed between the second, First and Second World War and exported to Europe after the Second World War. But we have an older European tradition that goes back through the, the utopian and dystopian novels and up through Jules Verne and H.G. Wells and uh, also a, a, a Eastern European tradition from between the wars, uh, wars uh, with, with Karel Czapek, for instance, and uh, later the Strugatsky brothers and Stanislaw Lem. Um, so we have a European tradition. One of the differences is possibly a less less an emphasis on technology and more on sociological phenomena, but also that, that the term science fiction is not as often used or wasn't certainly because before the Second World War because we didn't know it. Uh, but in modern times, to, is a di- bit different. We, we know science fiction as a, an import primarily as movies, actually. But we have a lot of writers in Europe uh, who science fiction people would call mainstream writers because they don't normally or primarily write science fiction, who are in these past 20 years have been beginning to see that the, the genre offers uh, a toolbox or offers uh, ideas or offers ways to discuss the world that the traditional mainstream literature possibly does not. So, Mariah, uh, what do you think about that? The tool of science fiction is so open to that as well, this broadening of perspectives. For me, what I loved most about uh, everything that you've done in this podcast is that it brought us new themes and new perspectives, even though we already tried to do that in our own magazine as well. I think in journalism, it's so easy to be self-absorbed and to keep looking at whatever's in a news cycle and just focusing more and more and more on those things that seem so important just for you or, or, or the people near to you. Um, and obviously, your political situation is not only created by that group that is reading and making the news with you. So what I really loved about the, the tool of science fiction is that it helps you to step out of that little bubble of, of, of the news cycle um, and, and reaches for narratives that might help you in a very different way that you never expected. You are totally right that, uh, that it allows this kind of uh, estrangement somehow from, from the current reality and get another view on the reality itself but it also has a very specific kind of code so um, the operation that we tried to do was uh, the one of world building uh, which is basically a little bit the basis of creating a different universe in uh, in a science fiction story uh, rather than focusing too much on the plot or the story we really focused on this element of, uh, of science fiction and actually I asked uh, one of the most famous uh, science fiction writer at the moment, Cory Doctorow, what he thought about uh, world building in order to explain us a little bit exactly this concept and how uh, we could apply this concept of world building within the frame of uh, a science fiction that is centered around 
the European project. Unfortunately, the audio is quite of a bad quality, but it's still very, very interesting what he's saying. The way that science fiction stories work is you have uh, a kind of microcosm, macrocosm, where the world that you're building is like this. It's a macrocosm. It's a big wheel, and it spins very slowly. And then the character and the scenario that the character is in, the character's problem, it's a microcosm of that wheel. It has teeth that mesh with the big, with the big wheel. And the character's travails spin his wheel or her wheel around and around enough times that you get a full rotation of the big wheel of the world that, that it's connected to so that, so that the two of them are, are intensely complementary. So, you know, for example, if you, if you want to tell a story about the future of the European Union, this dynamism is going to have to be at the center of it. And so the, um, the, the uh, character has to be someone who's either resisting or, or exploiting the dynamism or both, right? And that's actually a great kind of uh, uh, hoist on your own petard way of thinking about this, where you know you, you have the character who um, uh, sets out as a kind of policy entrepreneur to exploit some loophole in the way that the European institutions mesh, and who ends up um, you know uh, uh, having to fight against someone who's exploiting the same kinds of loopholes. Uh, I think that what he's saying, Cory, about world building and science fiction uh, brings me some interesting parallelism and, uh, and question about uh, how do you use uh, this sort of uh, similar technique also in, in journalism where you take the story of a personal story and then through the personal story you try to, to say something about uh, uh, the word and, and, and something else. Uh, so uh, what do you think about it? In journalism, obviously, uh, an angle can change uh, however you want to write the story. And it means that whichever angle you take, you're going to tell completely different stories. So there's this wonderful moment of constructing the facts that you've witnessed in real life into something that's not fake or or... Uh, not true, but it represents the, the facts in a way that are yeah are a version of, of the world. Uh, unfortunately, on the other side, obviously you cannot make up those facts, uh, which is the great thing about science fiction is that if you really, really want to explore something, you might even use stuff that hasn't happened yet. This is a little bit the beauty of the science fiction as a tool because you can use it as a laboratory to test some some of those facts, some of these words, and this is a little bit what we we've been doing in um, in the podcast in the different episodes. And um, it would be interesting to just uh, recap those uh, future imaginaries that we've been uh, going through with the different authors of uh, of the series. When you got in touch with me and said, "Do you want to be on a podcast where we talk about potential future scenarios for Europe?" My first sort of ideas were very dystopian because that's just the way that my imagination seems to be built it's just england and it's terrible the the, the food is really bad it's dull it's boring it's it's like it's like england was in the 1950s it be, it kind of makes sense to move it everything way way to the east you know to move closer to to moscow and to putin and say all right you guys uh, the 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 uh, so this, the old soviet union you, you, all right you won we're going uh, we're going to move everything to budapest in a way what happens with with brussels brussels it's going to become this kind of non-city 
with, because like half of Brussels are offices. And then a civil war would have happened. Chaos and anarchy would have started to rule the continent. The nation states would have failed to be capable of holding things on. And the only political actor that survived would have been the European Union. There are no newspapers of the traditional kind, no classical television networks, and where the fake news commentaries, uh, blogs, v-blogs are produced on a massive scale. I mean, we're already past dystopia. We're already living in dystopia. People are saying, oh my God, it's coming, it's coming. No, it's already there. It's there. We're living it, you know, and now we need to find a way to survive and love in the ruins. Maybe we, we would be using, using water much more as a surface and flying less. Uh, because, I mean, after damaging the, the ecology as we have already done, perhaps I would like to imagine that this time of adaptation and, and survival, we would actually be these, these, these island states that are now, these city island states that are now emerging would be uh, sustainable havens and people wouldn't fly, they would just go on their boats everywhere. I mean, the the whole perception or the way that the people um, remember and communicate and, and perceive things will also radically change, or not radically change, but gra gradually change with technology. I would like to see in this, in this um, future uh, a different relation between human beings about uh, the, the, the concept of... Um, of gender, for example, which I, I would I would totally uh, see as something that is uh, totally outdated in that, that society, you know. We might see a future where the noble families would build space elevators. Instead of owning kingdoms and land, they would substitute what is the role of tech giants. They have no mobile phones, actually. That, that, well, it's, uh, it's really funny thing to imagine that people don't have them anymore and they don't have even uh, private computers and they, because it's, uh, it's, it's not in fashion anymore. And, uh, and, and the discovery of, uh, of a new form of energy that would be able to uh, uh, not only be uh, sustainable and green and so on, but also that would be somehow um, available everywhere. Uh, I think if we wanted to envision a utopian future, we would have to start from the start from the idea that Europe would actually choose to share the secret of this free, sustainable energy source with everyone else. Countries have been replaced by districts, so-called sentinels, of 100,000 people each, and the entire world turns out to vote once a decade for their local government, and the political party elected to the most sentinels becomes the supermajority. This team has to go to the satellite of Jupiter uh, Europe. This crew composed by European, like totally, like you have Portuguese, German, French, and uh, they would have to cope with the new situation, but with a European mindset. Maybe Europe might be like, kind of like a rhizomic flower that is expanding and changing because of, you know, like, like wine, uh, you know, like, uh, like the way you, it's, it's the sun eats it, or or something like that, and then maybe we can figure out a way to distribute traditions instead of distributing nations. 
Mick, what are, what are your first reactions about all these futures that are imagined? Well, I first want to know, what is your favorite quote of all these, of all these people? Like, is there one quote that really stuck, stuck out there? Like, or one, one sort of future building exercise that you really thought, okay, well, this is original. The quote that stuck more in my mind was definitely the one with uh, Sabrina Calvo about Europe seen as a rhizomic flower, which is at the end of, uh, of the selection, which is the one that um, uh, I think that uh, resumes a little bit more on a philosophical manner, something that is um, kind of uh, utopic, but not necessarily... Uh, um, not necessarily uh, something that is uh, concerning a specific uh, uh, future uh, like uh, going in space or a big catastrophe and so on. It's more about how society could evolve, but also how the political reality could evolve in a way that is uh, multiple and multipolar and so on. And I think that this is quite grabbing uh, the imagination of things that uh, are not like uh, at the moment seen as uh, either, um, you know, either there is the nation state on one side and the, the, the federal Europe on the other and is seen as a super state or something like that. I think that it gives really a different kind of view about the fact that uh, the future can be uh, can be multiple and can be different. For me, that was exactly uh, what I liked about these clips as well, is um, that it, all of these futures ha take something that you take for granted and then put it upside down a little bit, uh, which can be mobile phones or the idea that you can get, I don't know, like avocado toast everywhere, uh, you know, like that kind of truth to, to, to our generation and, 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 and current Europe um, and takes it upside down. But the most interesting ones are the ones about the borders and about our political structures that, um, yeah, exactly we see as such a binary uh, conception. It's just borders or no borders. I also asked a couple of more people, for example, Laura Horn, who is uh, a professor of political science at the University of Roskilde. I think it's really interesting to, to hear these world building exercises um, that go beyond the, the kind of permanent presence that the European Union has. In particular, the EU with the institutional structure that can only ever be reformed. We cannot possibly think outside of the box, as Ian said, um, of the institutional configuration with the apparatus that the European Union um, has. And that leaves us very much in the box of thinking this is, again, it's a permanent presence. It's the only future that there is is an extension of that. And it's, um, it's not just refreshing. I think it's absolutely crucial to have people think about which futures can we imagine and, and to think those futures in the plural, to think them as open-ended and as contingent, right? Um, I think what would be really interesting um, to explore with regard to these dis discussions about the future, and, you know, this is really just the beginning of this, is um, a lot of it is obviously focusing on the kind of changes to our physical environment due to climate change, um, um, you know, depletion of natural resources. Also linked with that will be um, a displacement of people. Um, these are all processes that can or cannot be managed and governed, of course. And that's really interesting. And that's a major part of science fiction. And then there's the technological development. But I think what would be really most interesting is to zoom in more closely on what happens to the social relation. I also asked Srećko Horvat, philosopher from, from Croatia. 
my my first impression listening to the different imaginations uh, of the future is that these imaginations of the future are not really imaginations about the future. They're actually uh, uh, pretty, uh, I would say, uh, correct uh, uh, imaginations of the present itself. So it's not so much about the future, I would say it's much more about the present. And uh, when you listen to it, uh, you will hear that in, that food in England is bad, that uh, a civil war might be happening, uh, you know, that we might be living this kind of new feudalism uh, with castles, uh, island states and so on. Uh, but what really kind of struck me uh, was that uh, most of these imaginations, uh, not of the future but the present, are actually dystopian. Uh, so that uh, actually what is really lacking, I would say, although most of the uh, authors uh, uh, were pointing in that direction, but what is really lacking is a construction of the future and the construction of the future from the future itself, not from the present. Uh, uh, I think this is still missing. Uh, although I really like the imaginations, uh, I would say that uh, uh, it's actually much worse. Uh, 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 the situation is far more, far worse than it was described. And it's not in the future, but it is already happening uh, in the present. I think this is also a big lesson for science fiction today and politics today, that actually reality accelerated so much uh, that uh, uh, it is more and more difficult for science fiction uh, uh, to actually get hold of reality or to be more inventive than reality itself. If, for instance, uh, on the 4th of July you have Donald Trump uh, uh, saying that uh, uh, they succeeded uh, uh, to take over airports, uh, you know, during the day of independence uh, uh, when there were no flights and so on. If you already live in a society of so-called deep fakes and so on, uh, you will see that our imagination actually uh, uh, cannot even go so far, even in Chinese science fiction, you know, the free body problem where you have millions of years and so on. Uh, but I think uh, reality accelerated much more. And this is one reason more why we need more science fiction today. For, for me, is uh, one of, it, it's not only a, a genre in literature, movies uh, uh, or imagination. I think science fiction is actually uh, a guide for survival. Uh, in the future. Uh, uh, and uh, one of the most important uh, uh, methods of science fiction is what Bertolt Brecht called Verfremdung, or what uh, Szklowski would call Ostranienie, estrangement. Uh, uh, Darko Suvin has written a lot about it. Uh, uh, it means that what science fiction gives you is a sort of uh, uh, estrangement uh, in the sense that you see the reality different. Uh, it is as if you put glasses uh, on your eyes and you see reality differently. And uh, uh, I think today, uh, when the, when reality itself is becoming like science fiction, we need science fiction in order to understand reality better. I think this is really the fundamental question that we wanted to touch upon our podcast and um, and really trying to see how what can we learn from science fiction and what can we do. I I I would like to ask your your take on that. Well, my my take is that uh, yeah, the, the quote was really banging. Like, uh, like uh, the science fiction is sometimes needed to understand reality better, especially now that reality is becoming more like a science fiction thing. I truly agree with that. I mean. You can barely make it up what's happening right now, whether it's in, in, in the UK or on the continent of the US. And I think 
a way to sort of um, mirror that and also reflect on that is to take this, whether that's the current Europe in any in any sort of form, and imagine a parallel or alternate um, timeline, whether it's from that point or from a historical timeline. I think it's also definitely definitely something that Europe needs and a lot of politicians need is a true reimagining of the European concept, of the European project. And what you see now in politics is that uh, a lot of people focus on the small things, the small procedures, the small regulations, like a ban on single-use plastics, which is amazing when it's actually uh, executed and in place. At the same time, it's sort of, uh, they, they look at the symptoms and they look at the tiny little bits instead of looking at the reimagination of the core of the European project. And I think that's also why a lot of disenchantment with a lot of voters comes in because people don't feel that they can be part of this discussion on the European project at all. And they maybe have never been, but at least uh, there was this sort of idea that we were working towards something together. And I think that disenchantment has really taken over a lot of voters' minds. And I think if we can go back to that and include them in this conversation and truly include them in the conversation, I think Europe could truly benefit from that. And we can use exercises that are used in science fiction writing for that, just for that. And I think politicians can, can take a good look on science fiction, the ways of building science fiction, or of writing science fiction, and see what they can take away from that. Absolutely. I, I asked the same question to a professor of political science uh, from the Copenhagen University, uh, Jan Manners. I read and enjoyed science fiction long before I had heard of something called the European Community. And I think that is an advantage for any academic any student or anyone interested in the world we live in because it provides an opportunity for thinking differently and knowing that it's okay to think differently. I think it's crucial when we teach and when we write and when we research to always bear in mind there are alternatives that we haven't thought of um, and to open up it as a, both a, a method of research and a method of teaching how might things be different because if not you're simply giving in to the hegemony of those that own you, you and your future. Um, and using, in particular, films, uh, I teach with a class on political cinema, provides an opportunity for thinking what alternative futures could be, and in fact can only be, if you can think differently. And that, for me, is absolutely crucial. But even when I'm doing research, I, I wrote a piece in 2003 called European Studies, which everyone misspells, because I'd read... James, loves Lock, James Lovelock's Gaia, and I understood that you can only understand Europe in a global context. I mean, any post-colonial scholar will tell you that. Um, and within that context, the only way of imagining a future Europe is within a global context, ecologically, economically, sociologically, historically, and in terms of politics. And, and simply by making that act of imagination, coining a phrase which is outside of people's imaginary, do you for yourself and for others around you open a door into thinking a different world in a different way and, and Europe and what is that Europe within that world so I think that uh, he resumed it all you know like both the um, the political side but also the educational side of uh, of the operation and how really uh, uh, this kind of operation of uh, using science fiction but also storytelling it's somehow a process in order to build uh, something that is common, something that is European and something that uh, can lead uh, to the future, and, but lead to the future not as a mean of escapism, 
but something that can change the way we are acting in the present and how we are acting politically in the present as responsible citizens. And I think this is like the core message of the world season. Uh, it's really how we can get this back to the citizens and back to the actions that we are doing at the everyday level and, uh, and like make this uh, kind of action a European kind of action. Absolutely. I think we work with a lot of recent political science graduates and there's definitely a, a, yeah, a sense of, of too many abstractions in, in studying these, these topics that can really get in, in the way of actually getting to proper solutions. So I completely agree that with basic, basically every, anything he says, but, but specifically with uh, world building as a way to see yourself in this bigger structure without losing yourself in, in abstractions. Like really understanding your day-to-day -day role within this bigger construct that you will have to grapple with in some way in order to have an influence on it. That is, is uh, very well said, I think. And, and also something that Europe sometimes needs to have a bit of an idea of what that bigger, larger construct is without getting lost. I think that... Uh We can a little bit wrap up the, this episode and uh, obviously I have to say that uh, personally I want to thank Are We Europe for, for uh, helping to make uh, that podcast and that adventure possible at all in, uh, in the sense of hosting uh, Europarama in their platforms and uh, actually uh, as Mick has been pointing out since the beginning I mean the fact that uh, there was uh, the enthusiasm from Ari Europe not just uh, about uh, the podcast for the sake of the podcast but basically for the fact that it really matched uh, somehow the, the mission and the vision of of our Europe in terms of uh, what uh, what you want to achieve with um, with uh, with your work and with storytelling and with the different mediums and also like really using as many mediums as possible to uh, to basically tell stories about Europe because i think this is something that is very much needed and something that is uh, uh, you know like uh, i felt sometimes uh, a little bit like a pioneer as well because i've been like Uh, going through uh, contacting uh, authors from all over Europe, also like mapping a little bit. Uh, science fiction is a genre that, uh, as we say, has a big tradition in Europe, but also is kind of not really mainstream or, or, or known. So, uh, and I was surprised by the reactivity of some of the uh, authors uh, to uh, basically do something that had a European, even if they didn't, some of them they wrote about Europe already and they had some word building about. Europe and that's why it was natural for them to participate to this podcast but for other people it was the first time that they heard about about uh, a science fiction with a European setting and they got thrilled about it but not just because they saw the potential of Europe as a subject because there is this part that is extremely important Europe as a subject for for uh, for science fiction or for fiction writing because it's underexploited so lit really from the literary litera literally point of view literature point of view but also the activism side and that's also what I kind of appreciated a little bit I feel like there has been a some sort of community of writers that has been uh, slowly kind of forming around the podcast 
and writers that normally they uh, didn't know each other and they never thought about doing something for Europe and given the political circumstances that we are now, they felt the need to participate to something like Europarama because they felt that they could contribute through their skills, through the, their, their, uh, their craft to something that was, uh, uh, you know, helping to advance the European project at the moment where the European project is actually challenged. So I think this is like, uh, from my personal point of view, one of the most um, even emotional uh, kind of uh, um, things that I'm uh, taking out uh, from all these weeks of, of uh, uh, Skype calls and, and emails and so on. I mean, sometimes it was uh, even difficult and frustrated, you know, the, the word of, uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, literature and as an industry is not so easy. You know, sometimes you need to contact literary agents. Not everyone is responsive. It's like, you know, we could go on and have a full series of podcasts about, uh, about uh, the publishing industry and the state of the publishing industry in Europe but uh, the role that uh, that that uh, writers can 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 have in um, in helping building this narrative for Europe and different and multiple narratives for Europe i think it's all there and it's a potential and that's just the beginning i would say from from that wider mission for uh, for for that um, so i would like really just really thank Mick and, and Mariah for, for the support. I don't know if you have something uh, uh, to, la la some last words to, to say. Yeah, like, I mean, you sum it up in a, in a fantastic way. And, and, and I think it's truly been your curiosity in terms of this, of course, like you, you it's, it's your passion. You've been working on something like this in, in your own form, in your own way, with also with the book Disco Sour. And it's truly been your cur curiosity of exploring this as an avenue for for storytelling when it comes to Europe. And it, it's been your passion, your curiosity. You, it, it's been you reaching out to these people. So of course they have contributed, but it's you who brought them all together. So don't uh, don't uh, underplay that because it's really it's been a it's been a fun fun ride to to to, to listen to. And also think that sort of if if I can bring it back to our we are for one second as a, as a platform that's something that we really want to want to do is just to enable people to empower people with the passion with the curiosity whether it is writing filmmaking podcast making or illustrations to follow that and like we would love to to enable that so it's been it's been a pleasure and, and, and an honor hosting you i think and it's truly been been, been in, interesting to to listen to it to the journey thank you thank you very much maria do you have some thank you yeah um i mean all of the above um, and the only thing I want to say is let's take you on tour and let's let's not stop here. I think it's a, a great concept and uh, you have this wonderful community now. I think there's loads to be discovered that we can do with this tour and with this world building that you have as a possibility. So sneakily doing this on your podcast, I think we should make a tour out of this. Great. And uh, obviously, thanks a lot to all the listeners for uh, having followed uh, all these episodes of Europarama. And obviously, as usual, you can check out all the episodes now of the series and the other shows of the Are We Europe podcasting family, as well as more detailed information and links in the show notes. So thank you very much for having listened Europarama Season 1. Bye-bye. <laughs>